Testing. I think it worked this time. Testing. 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 Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I wasn't 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 doing that. That was weird. <laughs> That's okay. We're here. We're starting. And we're not gonna have any weird digressions or or we're not gonna circle around any points. We're not gonna ramble on too long. We're here to talk about Adam Sandler's bulletproof. You're fond of me off topic ramblings, ain't ye? Marches Hello, welcome back to Happy Amblin, the Waffle Press retrospective on the filmographies of Steven Spielberg and Adam Sandler. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. Hi. We're here to talk about the hit film from 1996, Bulletproof, a buddy action comedy starring Adam Sandler, of course, and Damon Wayans, a favorite of the retrospective because he did one other movie we really liked yeah. called The Last Boy Scout, which is much better than this. Oh, significantly. When was the first time you watched Bulletproof? About two weeks ago, I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, that's what it was. Um, wait, what did you know uh, going into this film? Um, I know that when I was making this list of Adam Sandler movies, <laughs> I went, what the fuck is Bulletproof? So that's uh, that's all I got. And then I was like, holy shit, Ernest Dickerson directed this. And that was also kind of it. We'll get into that because I was not familiar with this director's work, but I was familiar with Bulletproof, I first watched it on a lonely HBO Saturday night when I was in maybe 6th or 7th grade. Because my parents were divorced, I would go from house to house over various weekends and holidays, right? So uh, my dad was the one with cable. So naturally, the weekends, <laughs> that was the place to be. And HBO uh, often aired <laughs> showings of Bulletproof. So do you know how many times I ended up watching Bulletproof, a movie that even back then I did not like, but there was nothing else on television at the moment? How many times? I must have seen Bulletproof like a dozen times. Oh my god. Just in the background, not I only I only did one sitting and even then, you know, it's like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. It's it's not good and I don't really have nice things to say about it, but it stars Adam Sandler in a buddy action comedy and I think I would really like to see late career Adam Sandler do this again under better circumstances. Um, yeah, if they, I, th I feel like directors would know how to use him better. Like, this is a buddy film that I think his character, like, oscillates wildly between what they're going for. <laughs> like, I, I actually wrote down at one point that I, I did not believe Adam Sandler as, like, a hardened criminal, but I, I did believe him as a low-level thug, you know? Like, some guy, like, really low on the totem pole, but not a guy who, like, had any wits about him, really. <laughs> like, like he had wits about, like, very basic shit, but, like, you can't get him to do... He's very, he's very isolated in terms of what he can do, because they try to do stuff where it's, like, he's trying to be kind of hardcore, and it, that doesn't work at all. Yeah, Adam Sandler plays Archie Moses, small-time thief, dealer, crook, criminal, and uh, the movie does totally have trouble finding like adam sandler on solid ground um and damon wayne plays who we initially believe to be someone named rock keats who is archie moses's best friend co-criminal if you will and eventually he finds out that or adam sandler's character finds out that keats is an undercover police officer named jack carter who only befriended him so he could uh, uncover a bigger criminal conspiracy at play. And uh, I don't hate this setup. Like a lot of really boring, bad movies, there's always like a nugget of an idea. There's always like potential. Like I could see someone doing something with this. Didn't, didn't happen here so much though. No, this like, 
what you're describing is about the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then after that is kind of when the movie completely nosedives. And it wasn't doing that great beforehand, frankly. Um, but after that, it loses all its steam once the, once the reveal is given. Um, and this just speaks to an era where, like, these sort of buddy movies were so regular that you can feel the, like, interchangeable pieces being moved around, you know? Like, this doesn't feel like this came from any sort of place of, like, oh, this is a story I need to tell. This came from, all right, I want to do 48 hours and Lethal Weapon, but I have to come up with a twist. And then they just come up with a few twists, and then it's like, all right, I got a script. And then it's like, well, I'm not Shane Black, but I'm going to try and write quippy dialogue anyway, and then they fail miserably. And it's the case of, again, even though the script, like, sucks i know you're not crazy about beverly hills cop i'm not like in love with it but i think it's a solid action comedy it's not that funny but i like eddie murphy so whatever um but like that movie gets by i think because of the cast you know Mm. it it gets enough out of that premise to be really enjoyable to me this one just uh, can't find the pieces to talk about eddie murphy i mean i think the perfect counterpoint to this as like how to do this well is 48 hours which is, you know, a cop and a criminal forced to team up. Like, that's it. And they did it well enough the first time out, and they don't really need to do it again. I've never seen another 48 hours. You don't need to see another 48 hours. There's just, you just need to see 48 hours. Okay. Another 48 hours is not very good. I get so fucking pissed. Because the logo, if you look, if you ever seen the poster for it, even the one that's on streaming... The another is always written really small. So I go, holy shit, 48 Hours, I love that movie. And then I'm like, fuck! Because <laughs> 48 Hours is a fantastic film. But another 48 Hours is just trash. Even though it's like all the same people, which is weird. Yeah, sometimes that happens and it's always just funky. But uh, you brought up Shane Black, who obviously, you know, Last Boy Scout, like I mentioned, terrific film. Uh, I just watched it again like three times this last weekend because it just hit Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> like casually on in the background and one time I, I was sitting down to watch it because it's the last boy scout yeah and uh looking up the roger ebert reviews of that and this don't worry he liked the last boy scout much more uh, mm-hmm. um but he did say that in his written review that the last boy scout felt like any schmuck could have written this teleplay i think he even called it a teleplay in um like in their sleep like that's not why you go to that movie I would respectfully disagree, dead man. <laughs> why'd you have to why'd you have to dunk on the guy for being dead? <laughs> I just need him to know I'm superior. That's how film criticism works online now. Okay. I need him to know that I also saw Bulletproof and that is very clear and obvious that you cannot do it in your sleep because the movie will then put people to sleep. What Shane yeah. Black does in all the various drafts of The Last Boy Scout, because remember that movie was rewritten to fucking high heaven, is constantly keeping characters and, like, ideas in the forefront. Like, there's punchy action and dialogue, but nothing feels, like, false or, like, it's grasping at straws. And remember, that's a movie where, like, when there's 45 minutes left in the film, the villains are just like, oh, shit, they're onto us. And then it, like, just fucking books it to the finish line nonstop. And it still works here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking... Shane Black is literally someone who's basically written the same movie, like, over and over again for his whole career. There's a couple outliers in there, but it's mostly the same movie, and they're all very unique and interesting. <laughs> you know, like, it shows you that the formula really isn't the thing. Like, everyone took the formula from his movies, and no one understood, like, what drove any of his stuff. I mean, it's that classic uh, Hollywood problem, though, you know? It's like, oh, this worked, so let's just do it over here. But yeah. That's not... I'm, like, fucking Guillermo del Toro movies. Every sequel that he's not attached to, to a, a previous film that he directed and wrote, fails miserably yeah every single one why well, I, I just don't understand what it's it it's always that weird thing of like there's a key ingredient <laughs> and it's Guillermo del Toro and they just think they can take him out of it you know mm-hmm. I just don't I like the I mean I think I'm more talking about Pacific Rim here Pacific Rim 2 oh God, which seems yeah. to totally missed the point of the first Pacific Rim in favor of like it's literally it 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 feels like the only changes they wanted to make were changes to like what people complained about Pacific Rim, you know, and then they but then they didn't do anything else. 
Because, I mean, I, like, I did not like that Hellboy movie at all, um, the new one they did, but there was kind of, like, like, I felt like they were at least trying something different, whereas, like, yeah, Pacific Rim 2 was just, what a waste. It, that movie could have been, like, a whole new, like, great franchise if, if, if that was handled correctly. Oh, yeah, if they had handled it correctly, if they had brought Guillermo del Toro back, and if they just let him do his story... Pacific Rim would be like a major franchise right now. We'd we'd be seeing spin-offs and shit everywhere. Yeah, and you know what? Those as long as he didn't overwhelm the marketplace under one giant corporation conglomerate, I bet that'd be pretty fun. Um yep. but to bring it back to to bullet I almost said the last boy scout to bulletproof. Uh and just to to say one positive thing about the new Hellboy, which I also that movie's basically unwatchable for long stretches of it, but yeah. I like the monsters a lot. And you can tell that there was a lot of producer push to make it more like product number 37, you know? Yeah. And well, that, I really... the director just fucking bailed, so that's a whole other problem. Well, I like that director who did that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Neil Marshall is a great director. Just and... keep it in your pants, dude. Well, if you, if you read about, like, all the projects he's, like, tried to get made and, like, couldn't, like, you could tell he kind of just dumped them all into the Hellboy. Like, that's, like, a thing that's happening more lately where these directors get these tentpole movies and then it's like, well, I can't do this story in my own original film. So I'm just going to try and like shoehorn it in here, Yeah, which, which tends to have mixed success. I mean, I think it's worked a couple times, but not all the time. And yeah, that was one where it was just like producers run amok kind of. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently your boy, Ernest Dickerson, cause I think you have some more, not, not a lot, but some more notes on, on that filmmaker who, again, I was unfamiliar with, but according to, to him the film he's not very proud of it and it, it does seem like another situation where he was kind of a hired gun and was told how to do his job less of yeah him doing his job you know so that i feel for him i occasionally get some like flashes of like this movie's got a bit of a personality it's it's honestly the directing i really feel it and it's not the writing at all like there's the, the writing is so flat I mean, there's nothing there. So occasionally there will be like these moments where you're like, oh, they're trying to, they're really, a lot of people were really trying to work above the material they were stuck with. And Ernest Dickerson's honestly a guy who could do that. I mean, Demon Knight, his, his previous film to this, was, a, you know, it was basically a spinoff of Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> like, it's just a movie, it's Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. And so, like, that's, you know, when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's trash. <laughs> and then you watch it, and it's like, oh, no, wow, they actually really made it work. And he's, he's got a few good movies. He's a movie called Juice, which I really like. It's, like, his debut film. Um, I, think, I don't think I've seen anything he's done after Bones, unfortunately, which was the horror movie with Snoop Dogg. Uh, would you recommend Bones? Because I have not seen it, but I used to see that cover at every video store. I would, actually. I'm not going to say, like, it's a masterpiece, but I, I think Ernest Dickerson's got, like, an interesting voice that... I don't know. It's, it, stuff feels unique. It, there, it feels like there's a guy there. Mm-hmm. As opposed to someone just going through the numbers. And this... Honestly, what it seems... It seems like to me, this was probably a movie where he did Demon Knight. It was a, a surprise hit. It was surprisingly good. It got decent reviews. And I'm willing to bet some studio was like, Ernest Dickerson, if you do this movie and it's a big hit, will let you do... Like, you're the next guy. <laughs> and then it just wasn't... It just... It kind of fucked him, because I don't think he ever got a big studio film like this ever again. I have to be honest. I'm, I'm not that impressed by the direction, either, even after all these viewings. Um, I, I, I find it kind of cheap-looking, but I, I'm willing to bet that that's the producer's fucking him on this yeah, well, like, the, just doing this little bit of research it's like oh they took all the money from him yeah well no but I what I'm saying is I, I, I won't even say like, like I'm not talking like visual style <laughs> I just think in terms of like I don't know there's some stuff with the pacing and like there's, where the camera is the blocking in some of the action scenes I just found unique it comes and goes um, it's, it is not a consistent thing but okay, okay. you know what um, I, I'll I will bring up a little bit of the story threads because we don't really need to go too deep into this, but yeah. there is a moment in the finale where I was like, that was kind of cool. So, you know, I, I can give you that. Yeah, I just think, it, it, again, it's flashes. They're very brief. 
Um, I just I felt like this was a guy who he knew he was working with material that was lower than him and probably not great resources. And he was like, well, how do I elevate this a little bit? And you can feel him trying to bounce out of it. At least I did. Yeah, maybe, maybe the little flourishes here and there. But uh, I, actually, I really I, do think of the big one that uh, I'm actually very excited to bring up later because it has to do with James Caan, the thief mm. himself. Oh, yeah. Who I, I just want to say, I think he's really good in this. Yeah, um, he's barely in it. but Oh, yeah, barely. Like, he's on a billboard as much as he is, like, walking around, basically. That seems like something where they were restricted, because I think all his scenes are in the same location, save one. So it feels like maybe they had James Conn for, like, three days. Uh, and yeah, they... his domain, the mansion, which uh, well, I, I kind of brought up earlier, because that's the same mansion from the finale of the original Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, shit. That's another thing. It It does feel like... All the every, pretty much every location in this movie feels like it's left over from another movie. Mm-hmm. Which is like, what do we have? Like, honestly, I wouldn't even be shocked if maybe there was a good script at some point. But then they had to keep, like, whittling it down to fit what they had. God, this was... Uh, yeah, this movie was a whole lot of nothing, frankly. Yeah, but I'm still going to try to break down a little bit of the story, so... I want to start out by just pointing out... That this movie has the f- exact same first line as The Godfather. No. I believe in America. No. It's the exact same line. No. And James Conn says it. No. <laughs> this is worse than the time you find out about the Will Smith pigeon movie. <laughs> oh my god. Holy shit. I saw that trailer in theaters. I had no fucking idea. I thought I had to leave the theater. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> That's uh, Tom Holland branching out from Spider-Man. But but who? <laughs> oh my god, that was I, that made me so angry. <laughs> well, you said the title out loud, right? I know. Uh, yeah, I know about the fucking title. Back the fuck off. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Why? Who th- who did that? They should be killed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to edit that out? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I mean, I, that, that might come back to haunt me, but hey. <laughs> I feel like I've said enough on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like if I'm ever in a position where it's like, I could be like working at a studio, which is like a one, it's like a 0.001% chance of happening. And I know they're going to do a background check on me. I feel like I would have to call you up and be like, Hide every episode of the Waffle Press. <laughs> and I will give you a part of my paycheck if you take the podcast down. Only if you get a Star Wars. Well, you know how you know how Hollywood works. You roll in, the first movie you get is a Star Wars. I mean it worked for Colin Trevorrow. Oh that fucker. <laughs> Anyways, to to bring it back down to earth a little bit, um I really like the idea of like a buddy cop movie with like the the shit the constantly shifting dynamic between like the cop and the criminal, right? having to team up and the idea that because one of them was faking their relationship, the other one has to like deal with the emotional fallout of it. Like that's a fun idea to me, you know, like yeah. it's like really develop these, these people's like broken lives and how one of them is basically only like, I think he's even referred to as the Terminator at one point, <laughs> the, the cop character. And I'm like, that's not a, it's not bad. It's not, I mean, that's the thing about this movie. It's not like ungodly unwatchable. It's just, Dull. Yeah, well, I think one thing that really killed it for me is you're right, that idea of the constantly shifting dynamics and that there's a f- there's this sense of betrayal and fallout on both sides that um, kind of drives the plot. There's two problems with that. One, that the, the constant shifting kind of disappears about 40 minutes in, and it's pretty straight. The other problem is that for one of the characters, the betrayal isn't a real betrayal. It's a complete misunderstanding. And we're aware of that the whole time. And it just makes it uninterested. It's basically, you're waiting around for them to just be like, oh, for him to realize it was a misunderstanding or to not care. And I hate, it's just, it, that's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's an awful thing to do ever, but it's a really bad thing to hang your movie on. <laughs> It's like a load-bearing beam, and it 
it gives way almost immediately. Yeah, I, I think it would even be improved just by withholding the information that the gunshot... So so uh, Damon Wayne's character, when he does the bust, and uh, uh, Adam Sandler's character is getting away in the middle of a shootout, Adam Sandler is... He's hit by like a crane or something, right? Yeah. And, and uh, he accidentally shoots Damon Wayne's character in the head in a spot where he's able to recover from and gets a metal plate stuck in. I think the film would benefit just slightly if they withheld that information that it was an accident. Yes. And then later he's like, you either got to believe me or you don't. And through the actions of Adam Sandler's character, without us even realizing it throughout the, the rest of the film prior to that, we would be like, okay, I believe him or I don't believe him, you know? And then them having to team up again, like, I don't know. It would build a you know, lot more into the narrative. Here's how you do this. No, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but I kind of just thought of this and I thought it might be interesting. You do that whole thing is basically, it's, I don't need to go into the details, but during a drug sting, it comes out that Damon Wayans is a cop and then Adam Sandler feels betrayed. Shit goes down. Damon Wayans makes a point that he is going to arrest Adam Sandler because he doesn't want Sandler to be hurt. He's like, I've got, I've grown too close to the guy. I don't want to see him get hurt. He even like tackles a cop that is going to um, shoot him at one point. Um, they end up in a standoff, right? And that's where the crane thing happens, and Sandler accidentally shoots Damon Wayans in the head. I think in better hands, you could have that standoff, and you could really ratchet up the tension of what's going to happen. Damon Wayans has his gun on Sandler, and then. Boom, just cut the black. And then you cut the Damon Wayne's waking up in the hospital. So you don't know what ha- and he and then it's like you got shot in the head, you have brain damage, and then throughout the movie he's slowly recovering the memories. You know? Mm-hmm. I think that would have worked much better. Holy fuck. I'm tempted to cut this and just be like, let's write this right fucking now. <laughs> hey, I, whatever. Who cares? No one's gonna listen to this. I think another thing where this movie really drops the ball. Um, is that there seems to be almost no consequences for any of the violence. Um, dozens of people are killed very early on in this movie. <laughs> and it doesn't really ever seem to matter. <laughs> Which I think, again, uh, to bring it back to the Shane Black thing, Shane Black is really good at doing fuck-ups and really good at being like, violence is bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, he can even do both. Where like he's like, there's comedic violence in his films, but it, it's also horrific at the same time. <laughs> Um, I think of that shot, there's that great shot in The Nice Guys where they go up in the elevator and they get off and there's a guy who's had his throat slashed and they just look into his eyes as he dies. (laughs) And it's both horrific and funny at the same time, which is like, that's a real like difficult high wire act. But here it's like people are getting shot constantly and it just doesn't matter. And we have this thing of like, Dean Wayne's gets shot in the head, he has a metal plate in his head. And he has to recover, and he goes through physical therapy, falls in love with his physical therapist, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I really wish we could have seen more consequences to getting shot in the head. <laughs> like, there are people people who have been shot in the head who um, basically suffer from seizures the rest of their life. If you do damage to your brain, you are it's going to affect you the rest of your life. Um... There was one person, I can't remember who, who was shot in the head. They were It was during a school shooting. Um, they were a young person. And they basically couldn't overwork themselves or they would have, like, minor seizures. So it, like, totally affected their schoolwork and everything. Um, like, they couldn't do any of the sports that they were on for the rest of it. And they kind of just had to devote time to just... Um, academic stuff and I think they wanted to be like an architect and that was too taxing on the brain for them to follow that dream Uh, and the person has to take pills like every day of their life and that becomes the reality that person has to live with you know fuck went serious it's serious but I'm saying like you could have done something with it other than metal plate I had a rough time I mean Damon Williams basically looks exactly the same (laughs) Before and after getting shot in the head. I, I don't like, think you're he, off base with that. Because I think even if we saw the consequences of it, it would it would also help because it's like, even if it was an accident, I would still be fucking pissed. Whereas here it just feels like, 
man, you shot me. That was a betrayal. And it was like, you want to talk about betrayal? You lied to me. And it's like, yeah, all right, I guess that's what we're doing. It, it's half-baked. And I just think it, would, it also would have been interesting where, let's say Damon Wayans is like, he kind of forces himself back in this. Uh, for one one thing I think that doesn't work is that he doesn't want to go get Adam Sandler's character. Um, whereas I think it would be more interesting if he did kind of want to confront him. But, again, if we put him in the situation where he's still struggling, where he's still injured from being shot in the head, <laughs> like, then he, he has to rely on Adam Sandler for things, you know? Which I think would have really added to it. Again, it's like one of these, like, a couple tweaks, this movie would have been much better. Did you ever see the Kevin Williamson series, The Following? Um, no, I did not. I know of it. But so you also probably have heard that it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I basically heard it was terrible, so I didn't watch it. Uh, yeah, never intriguing premise for like a, an hour and a half long movie. Don't make 15 episode seasons. Um, but anyways, the the big hook was that like Kevin Bacon's character was recovering from something like that. Like he gets he catches like a Hannibal, like an obvious Hannibal Lecter stand in. Right. And uh he, he gets injured on the job, I forget how, and he has to have, like, a, a heart monitor. He has to wear a heart monitor, so his heart, race can't, his heart rate can't go, like, past however many beats per minute. And uh, then by, like, the 10th episode, they, like, forget about that. But that's, like, <laughs> an intriguing thing. Is like, he's the only one that can stop this guy, and there's a ticking clock, and nobody knows how many followers are in his cult, and who can trust who, and then it's, like, not important anymore. Like, that's, like, just do that. <laughs> Why would you not follow What's through on there? that? Wasn't there a um, a season of Twenty Four with Jack Bauer? Um, he had like a drug addiction that then they just kind of forgot about halfway through the season. Oh yeah, no, he no. There's an hour devoted to it, so it's okay. Where he's like struggling with the addiction at its peak, and then he beats it because now they're back on American soil. Because that's day three, son. Wow. I know my Twenty Four history. The first wow. half takes place south of the the U.S. Mexico border, and then they go back to America. They have to stop a virus from out breaking out in a shopping mall in the span of a day. I, I tried watching the first season of 24 and couldn't get through it. And I feel like the, like, not to bring up 9-11, <laughs> but the overt, um, like, Homeland Security bullshit that goes on in that show, I think it only could have worked, like, post 9-11, like, really close to it. I feel like now it would probably be very disgusting to watch. But if I was going to watch it, the I would like to basically do it all in one sitting without any sleep. <laughs> I want to do the whole 24. There are uh, officially Jack Bauer starring seasons. There are nine. And there's an extra one that I did not watch because I was just done with 24 by that point. Starring Corey Hawkins, who is a very good actor. And I heard was not given much to work with. So that's a shame. Yeah. But I uh, know 24 is a problematic fave for me. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it, it seems to be for a lot of people, like a lot of people I really respect and are like super liberal <laughs> seem to have a, like a weird soft spot for 24, which I, I it's got to mean something, but I just can't get into it. Damn it, Chloe. <laughs> See, I get it. Cause that's a thing. But speaking of uh, vulnerability, it, it, you know what movie just did something similar to what I'm describing? No. Terminator Dark Fate. You're fucking which right. Was, which was a surprisingly competent film. I can't believe how wrong I was about it. Well, not even like Terminator Dark Fate's not a great movie, but I had a great time watching it. And if it's got to be the third third version of Terminator, I'm happy with it. <laughs> I am shocked. Yeah, um there was a 3-month stretch where every time I went to the movies, without fail, they played the Terminator Dark Fate trailer before whatever I was watching. And I hated it. It was the worst. And I was like, fuck this movie. And the only reason I saw it was because I was invited to see it. And I watched it, and I got so on board so quickly. <laughs> Are we going to talk like, spoilers for Terminator fuck. Dark Fate? I don't know. No one saw this movie. Oh <laughs> No, five people on Twitter saw it with us. I guess, yeah. But, because it's weird, because it's also one where I can't be like, 
rush out now. You can't miss Terminator Dark Fate. It's like, yeah, you can. Yeah, it's the sixth but... Terminator movie. It just happens to be one I think is actually pretty good. It just happens to be the third best. And it's still, mind you, miles to go before you're at the quality of the first two. But, you know, given the luxury of hindsight, this feels like an oasis in the desert. Another movie I feel like with a little more punch-up maybe could have worked, but it just didn't. Um, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess, but I really liked it. And it's about how we're all trapped in our own prisons. We're all in prisons, Diego. Yes. Uh, like, our bodies are a prison. As much as the technological infrastructure we've built around us is a prison. Did you get that? I did. Did you did also you get, get that? that the that's why they get stuck in an ice detainment facility for the... Uh, they don't call them prisoners. What the fuck do they call them? Um... Detainees, isn't that it? Or yeah, something? I just said detainment center. I couldn't even put that together. What the fuck? I, I, I could be wrong. I just did it because you said detainment center. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right. They call them detainees in the movie. They do the same. And I'm like, it's not even like a groundbreaking thing that they're doing by like calling this, like, this institution out. I'm just surprised that it's in there. I, I think that it fumbles it a little. I think... Ice needed to be a more overt villain. I, I, I wish there was more of that, but then it also gave me a, an extended sequence of the Terminator killing countless ice agents who are like begging for their life. And I was like, yeah, that's good. There's still the optics of like a Mexican Terminator going beyond the border. You know? mm-hmm. So it, it does get murky. But look, I'm taking what I can get this year and I'm just surprised it's in there. So yeah, shout out I to just... James Cameron for producing two um, provocatively Mexican-American action films. But you know that scene in Terminator 2 where Arnold Schwarzenegger just shoots that security guard in the kneecaps? Yeah. I wanted a little more of that. Okay. I wanted Grace fucking up more ICE agents. She fucks up a few, but not enough. She even hits a woman in the head and knocks her out. Oh, yeah. She's See, like, I, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, stuff like that did happen. And I like the movie. It's just not... It's a six Terminator. It just happens to, to be one I really like, okay? But I gotta say, Grace is my new favorite character ever. <laughs> uh, Grace is a fantastic character. Oh, you know what? Here's what you do. So y- your thing with Bulletproof was that Ernest Dickerson brought some flourishes to it, and potentially it might be a better film if he had more of his own voice throughout the rest of it, right? Yes. I think what you do... Is James Cameron, this is, this is not like any hearsay. This isn't like, uh, this is just a theory. James Cameron heard that Neil Blomkamp was going to reboot the Aliens franchise with a direct sequel to his Aliens film. He stole that concept and applied it to Terminator because he's going to get the rights back this year or next year. And he had Tim Miller come on board to produce it and develop it. Now, what he should have done was done all that. And kicked Tim Miller off and given it to a director who can actually, like, direct. And that's not yeah. even me hating, like, Tim Miller. I, I, I think yeah. he's a solid action director, but just, like, bare minimum. There's a lot of creative action set pieces in Terminator Dark Fate. And I don't think any of them are executed as well as they could be. Yeah, I was surprised because when I saw the, the plane stuff in the trailers, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, why is this here? Like, dial it mm. back. And I still feel like they could have dialed it back. But as I was watching it and like even thinking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that was kind of fun. It's a that's a really cool idea. It's just, yeah, yeah, too big is probably the word. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. But Grace is a character I brought her up because uh, she's an augmented human, or as I like to call a robot, because <laughs> everything's a robot. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I hope this isn't offensive to the future robot people that are ruling the planet. Shout out to Sophia, the artificial intelligence with a Twitter account. Stan oh, yeah. Sophia. Isn't, isn't Sophia bullshit, though? I have no idea. That would break I my heart. Because, so, I believe me, I would totally be on board with an artificial intelligence on Twitter, but I think Sophia's bullshit. No! I think I've read that somewhere. Fuck! I could be wrong. Hold on. I'm actually going to Google this. Okay. Sophia AI. 
Yeah, Sophia's bullshit. This is my dark fate. Yeah, she's a she's just a humanoid robot that it's like peep, but it's people puppeting her. I'm unfollowing her on Twitter. Hang on. <laughs> this is this is actually genuinely a bummer to me because I'm very like I'm actually very pro artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think a lot of interesting possibilities are there with like. We just have to treat it and nourish it properly, you know? Yeah, we can't. We gotta not give them. We gotta got not give them weapons. <laughs> Sorry, Sophia, you're canceled. I'm, I'm following yeah. her right now. I mean, it's not her fault. It's the the people who made Sophia because it's like a publicity thing. I hope she breaks free and realizes her her true potential. Hold on, this is a, a Hong Kong company that made her. Has Sophia ever tweeted anything about freeing Hong Kong? I don't know. I, I just unfollowed her. I'm not going to go look through her feed now. Okay, well, if she if she has, then I take back what I said. If she hasn't, then she's canceled. Okay. <laughs> you remember when um, Microsoft tried this thing? This was a couple years back. I think I covered it on my old uh, Gringo Fuck Yourself podcast, where they Microsoft put out an artificial intelligence that was supposed to learn and like tweet stuff. And it was like with it within being on Twitter for like an hour, it was tweeting like Holocaust denial and like racial slurs. Uh, that I do remember that. That was the best episode of your show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah again, I am very pro artificial intelligence, but uh, that's a that's a foreboding sign. Yeah, there's got to be like a, a method to the madness because right now I think the big thing no one talks about about like online or people are talking about it just no one's enacting anything with it is that there's basically no rule to anything yes and uh it's bad it's basically our equivalent to the wild west but worse well i mean here's the thing there's a there's a certain beauty in how wild the internet is but it all it it does also breed an awfulness and the only way to fix it would be to like do a complete like top to bottom redesign of the internet. Like th- it's not something where there's like a simple few changes, you know? It's it, it would take and no one is willing to put in that effort and I get nervous when people call for like solutions cuz the only solutions that will happen now will even if they solve problems, they'll negatively affect marginalized communities. You know, uh, we're already seeing, I mean, basically like sex workers are getting fucked over everywhere. Yeah. I mean, look what happened to Tumblr. Like that's, that's kind of been a joke that like, oh yeah, Tumblr died because they, they closed off like all the, the porn postings and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, yeah. Well, and, and it, no one, no one talks about how that's like a direct result of, um, Festa and whatever the other one was called. Um, what was the what's the fucking bill? Sorry, I actually don't know. I gotta look it up. Sorry. It's a very educational episode on bulletproof. Well, cause there's nothing um, to talk about with bulletproof. I'll run through. I'll run through some last things at the end. But oh, Sesta and Fosta, which is the um, which was a joint bill. It was the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act and Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Which was a bill that was the basic idea was we're we're gonna fight human trafficking, but really it just shut down all the safe spaces for sex workers online, which is exactly what it was designed to do. It did nothing for human trafficking. It's done next to nothing for human trafficking, <laughs> and it was it's been voted on by any politician you currently like right now that was in office, um, in I think 2017, 2018 maybe. Um, any politician you like uh, voted for it. Uh, I believe all the Democratic nominees voted for it. And uh, yeah, so just a reminder that they're all swine at the end of the day. Remake the last Boy Scout, but make it about sex work instead of football. No, there's a, there's a total movie to be made about sex workers, but no one will make it because we don't respect those people at all right now. And this country is terrified of sex. Yeah. <laughs> This is one of the most repressed countries on the planet Earth. Maybe that's why the 90s was like a great decade for movies. Because everyone was just violent, horny, and sweaty all the time. I guess, but was the 90s, was the 90s, that, was the 90s that great? No, but I'm, I'm trying here. 
I don't like the. I don't. I, I got a beef with Gen X, frankly, because <laughs> they kind of had an opportunity where they could have done some shit, and they decided to be disaffected instead. <laughs> I'm literally just thinking about the last Boy Scout. You're totally right. Yeah, like that's what Bulletproof just reminds me of. I mean, it's the thing. You know, there, there's a lot of great stuff in the '90s, like indie cinema was huge, and we get like you know, Pulp Fiction comes along and like changes the game. But unfortunately, like everyone, as they always do, learned all the wrong lessons. Um, but I, I, I can't stop uh, talking about Sesta and Foster without pointing out that uh, Seth Meyers and uh, Amy Schumer both uh, promoted it. Oh, no. So, uh, fuck those guys. Oh, I like Seth Meyers. I, I like him, too, but fuck him. He's got a he, he's, he's, fucking guy does all like these political jokes on his fucking show where he's like, oh, I'm going to actually barely do comedy for 10 minutes and just talk about a political issue, which is, I guess, the news nowadays. And he doesn't want, you know, he could very easily be like, hey, I made a mistake. And he's got a platform to do it. And uh, he's not going to. Okay, two senators voted against it, and it was, uh, one of them was Rand Paul. (laughs) So. Thank you, Noah guy. Well, Rand Paul, like, kind of pretends to believe in things occasionally. It's it's that thing of, like, he pretends to have integrity, but really it's just him, like, getting power for his own bullshit. This is probably obnoxious at this point, but also, that's just the last Boy Scout. Yeah, I guess. The senators are, are no good. They're garbage people. The only reason they saved one is because he wanted more money and he was going to be assassinated. Why the fuck did we go down this path? Oh, I was talking about Grace <laughs> from Terminator... Dark Fate, which your name is Grace, which, uh, I don't know, they could have picked a better name, maybe. <laughs> no, no, Grace is a fine name. <sighs> What's wrong with Grace? I don't know, it seems like, you know, Grace, like, religious shit. Look, Adam Sandler plays a character named Archie Moses. Yeah, but this movie sucks. Terminator Dark Fate's alright. <laughs> it's good enough, and I'm happy I have it. Which is not what I expected at all. But what I was saying was, Grace, she's my she's my uh, cyborg robot buddy, and one of the one of the fun things about her character is that she, if she overworks herself, she needs to get like injections of certain vitamins like immediately, and it turns her into this powerful but vulnerable character, which is really interesting and really fun to watch. You could have done the exact same thing with Damon Wayans. Yes, I agree. Am I wrong? No, no, you're not wrong at all. I'm telling Girl you, this Hulk? could have been a... What the fuck else? Adam Sandler's boat trip? What was it? <laughs> going overboard. <laughs> oh, yes, going overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, we did an episode on going overboard. Both going overboard go. and bulletproof could have been made into some, some decent movies. Diego. Hi. How long have we been recording this retrospective? <laughs> Five weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect. Have you been drinking, sir? I had about a half beer, but the dog had a lot. Okay, so I'm basically just going to, like, barrel over the last couple points. I just want to talk about the story stuff, because we could basically wind down now. It's There's no story here. <laughs> um, there's a couple chase sequences. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel both did not hate this film. Uh, they actually thought there was potential in it. So, I mean... They both say that this is the movie that changed their mind on Adam Sandler. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think they're wrong. I think this does show that Adam Sandler isn't just a one-trick pony. I think it shows you that he does have range if used correctly. And you can even see that in a movie where he very clearly isn't used correctly. <laughs> I would love it for Adam Sandler to finally just pivot to, like, dramatic work. But I guess in, the, in an interview he gave recently, he was saying that Uncut Gems is one of the most like creatively fulfilling experiences he's ever had, and he would work with the Safdie brothers again in a heartbeat if they asked. Oh shit! All right. So that's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's great. Oh my god, they're getting the twenty four, the, the twenty four, the forty eight hours remake. By the way, they're remaking forty eight hours. Yeah, but with the Safdie brothers. So I'm like, oh, hang on. I mean, honestly, forty eight hours is all like premise, so you could take it anywhere. <laughs> If, so yeah, I'm I'm down with that. They could make a really interesting movie and just call it Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, Forty Eight Hours, starring Adam Sandler. 
That's what I want cop. now. It might work with him as the cop. Like he plays the criminal in one film and then he's a cop in another. Yeah, I'm telling you, it could totally work. It could. I I I don't know. I, I've always wanted to see Sandler break free of all the shit that I mean. He's got enough money. I hope he understands that. <laughs> you know, just just be like, yeah, he's, you have enough money now. Do the good movies. But I also think it was that thing of like no one really believed in him for a long time. And there's a couple directors. We'll get to him as the retrospective goes on. But a couple dramatic directors tried to use him and failed miserably. Aww. There's a couple of dramatic performances in there that just don't work, and he got kind of like, he got really, uh, I don't know what the term would be, but like kind of like knocked down for it by the critics because he did Punch Drug Love and then never really recaptured that for a while. And then he almost did Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Which is like, I want to peer into that alternate universe. Inglorious Bastards, Collateral, there was a couple. Oh, all right, so you do know the Collateral thing. Yeah. Okay, that was the one I was saving for... But I, 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 that was a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Wish I could peer into that alternate universe. Instead, we have Bulletproof, a movie with a bunch of chase scenes, and then a movie ends. Uh, there's, there's a kind of, like, not even funny. I'm just like, this is a nice bit with the the motel owner chase, where he's driving the truck, and they like. Oh wait a minute, that was so fucking weird. <laughs> I, I kind of liked it, though. That's the thing. Like, not even nice. Maybe nice is the wrong word. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. Seeing them out of, in a situation out of their control, being saved by someone they just, like, met, I, I don't know why. There's, like, an idea there that's kind of funny to me, and I can't comprehend it. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about any of this. Uh, James Khan again is the villain in this and don't worry he's we don't have much more to go about other than he's really good and there's a part where he's really committed to a fight scene so he takes off his toupee and uh, this is the part I was mentioning earlier during the, the the moment where Adam Sandler gets the kill shot to save Damon Wayne's character when he shoots James Khan directly in the head the camera does this fun thing where it like zooms out and zooms right back in as the bullet lands and I that's like a fun little action beat nestled yeah. away in this completely forgettable movie. Yes, there's a couple moments like that, but uh, what a bad movie. Yeah. Oh, there's a fun dog, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought the dog would come back into play, but it, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, what does come back into play is another discussion of the Mexican-American border, which is something that just keeps coming up in this episode, I guess. Uh, because that's where they all go at the end, and then the movie ends after they beat the bad guy, and they're totally, I guess, wanted criminals now, because you find out a bunch of police officers are on a payroll, and... Uh, yeah, whatever. That's Yeah, yeah, I mean, the movie treats um, the same. Two, two things, I guess, to point out before we leave. One is that James Conn's right-hand henchman, this big guy, is the same actor who played Bane in Batman and Robin... Wow. And uh, he uh, passed away, I think, shortly after filming Batman and Robin. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is that we completely glossed over a character in this film who ends up being very important. The mother or the love interest? Yeah, Tracy, the love interest. Who turns out to be a villain. There you go. Yeah, which, like, what sort of fucking 4D chess was James Conn playing there? I I have no idea. That was so bad. That, that Let's go with your theory that at one point this was a good script, you know? Or at least a solid foundation. So then Damon Wayne's character is betrayed and has to learn to trust Adam Sandler's character. That's the thread, right? And then someone he trusts ends up betraying him like he did Adam Sandler. I don't know if there's a point to that. I'm just saying that's, I think that's what they were kind of going for, but you can't just do something. You have to like explore it Hmm. or at least like address how it affects the characters in a meaningful way. And that's like five minutes before the movie ends. So that doesn't happen. Go watch Terminator Dark (laughs) Fate. Now go watch the fucking lighthouse. Go watch the lighthouse, a movie about the gig economy, and then listen to the episode I did on it because I think it's a pretty good one. It's pretty good.
I just shit talk Matt for like the opening five minutes. But... Oh yeah, don't think I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I come around. I don't blame you. Fucking people. I blame the American healthcare industry. Yeah, yeah. It was a cheap and easy way to try and get all my good graces. <laughs> so Matt, would you recommend Bulletproof? I would not at all recommend Bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> would I would recommend The Last Boy Scout. I don't think there's a movie we brought up today that I wouldn't recommend in place <laughs> of Bulletproof. Go watch the pilot to the following on that note. Oh yeah, there you go. Maybe you'll like it more than everyone else who watch an entire season of Twenty Four in one sitting. I got, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, I could go into how like Jimmy Dix is like maybe the most underrated Shane Black creation ever. I just really like that character. I'm finding out on rewatches. Like, I mean, I, I always liked him, but now I'm like, there's something special here. But maybe I'll save that for another time because Bulletproof is nothing, and that's too bad. But uh, next time on the show, we'll be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Steven Spielberg film that people really love. Will we love it too, Matt? Probably. Yeah, I, I, I haven't rewatched it yet, so we'll, we'll see. We're two schmoes who seem to love everything. No, no, I like. I didn't like. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't like. Um, I didn't. <laughs> Bye. That has been Bulletproof. Where can yep. the people find you? I think we talked about maybe 5% of the film, frankly. No, no, there, there was some stuff. We talked about the ideas in the film. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh, oh, clever. Thank you. Um, what day is it? Marches fill your beans. I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. EmperorOTN1. I'm still one. I don't understand, but whatever. I don't either. <laughs> and you can follow me in the Twitters at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Patreon. Um, keep keep subscribing to all the things. If you can support us in the Patreon, that'd be great. So we could afford uh, to do more things other than just pay for the hubs which we host these episodes at so thanks for listening thanks for watching we've been professionally unprofessional and now i'm gonna go fuck that lighthouse <laughs> bulletproof will you shut up shut the hell up you'll always be my bodyguard you know that